Well, good morning. Oh, it's great to see you. Got the question of the day, and it's not, are you going to the parade? The question of the day, have any of you that are here this morning ever experienced trouble or disappointment? No, really. I mean, yeah. Okay. Well, good. You're in the right place, because today, the message is the remedy for the blues. We're going to look in Psalm 40, and God has some things to say to you and I today. So I'm going to jump in by reading this psalm. If you have your copy of God's Word, you can read along with me, and we'll begin in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. No one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll or in God's word. To do your will, O oh my God, is, the desire, is my desire. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips as you know, O oh Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, ah, ah, be appalled at their own shame. May all who, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, the Lord be exalted, or the Lord is great. Or great is the Lord. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. Now I hope that this psalm will become one of your favorites as it has become one of mine. It has become uh, so real to me because it's not just a message to be shared with you. It's something that has been real in my own life. And I've been clinging to these words, and I recite them over and over, not just because I was coming here to share with you, but because God's been teaching me. And so today, this may be one of the simplest messages you ever hear. It's got two points. You can handle that, huh? You're saying, great, we can get out for the parade. All right, point one, we're going to acknowledge the facts. When you take a passage of Scripture, the first thing you should do is say, what does the passage say? Not what do I want it to say, nor, nor what do I think it means. 
just ask some basic questions. What is this passage saying? And so we have about eight truths that we're going to unpack from this. And the second point of this message is real simple. We're going to acknowledge the facts, and then we're going to apply the truth. How about that? Think you can hang with that? All right, so here we go. The first truth that we see is our troubles, our troubles are either done to us or by us. Now, if you look in, uh, you see verse, let's go down to um, verse, uh, let's see, verse, where is it? Where he says, um, my troubles, anybody? Okay, 12. I was just seeing if y'all were listening. I had it the whole time. Come on. You think I didn't come prepared to know what I was going to talk about? Well, I was a little confused because I was like, man, what was I supposed to say today? And then I got the worship thing, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I don't have any outline to go by. So I'm just going to guess here and there, right? No, verse 12, he says, for troubles without number surround me. All right? And then he says, my sins have overtaken me. So he's helping us to understand troubles come in two forms. First, they can be done to us. And then later, he says that. He says, verse 14, see how fast I got that? Just see. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin. So the troubles are those done to us. Persecution. It could be um, natural calamity. That could be done to us. And it could be slander, somebody out to get you, talking about you, you know. A lot of things done to us. Somebody could just do something wrong against you. That happens. We're in relationships. But then there's also troubles that are done by us. And when he said, my sins have overtaken me. Here's, here's something to help us. Done by us. A lot of times, if you are like me, I try to... Um, cover my sins with nice, cute words, you know, that they're not so bad. In other words, I don't like to call them sin. But here's some of the ones that we need to, to face up to, things done by us. Self-pity, self-seeking, self-indulgence, selfishness, self-effort, unforgiveness, bitterness, envy, resentment, impatience. All right. Here's, a, here's the thing that God's been teaching me. The things done by me is in the, considered in the sins of reaction. Often, we feel like when somebody does us something wrong, have, have, they have given a wrong action toward us. If you're like me, if we're not careful, you may have the tendency to hang on and say that my wrong reaction is excused because they first wronged me. Not good, huh? Well, this happened to me not long ago. In fact, I was sitting on my deer stand, and uh, I had actually come to, come to uh, a place where I started recognizing that for six years I have held on to some bitterness and some anger and some unforgiveness, and it was because this person had wronged me deeply. It affected me. It affected my family. And so what I had done was to say that my wrong reaction, which was unforgiveness, my bitterness, my self-pity, my envy. I envied this person because I was like, why don't they hurt like I hurt? Anybody go there? 
And so all of a sudden, I'm sitting on the deer stand, and God just comes and boom, he says, you love that person. Now, for six years, I've said I did with my mouth, but in my heart, I did not. So I'm sitting there. No deer came, okay? So I know you men were wondering, did he get a shot, you know? So all of a sudden, this comes, and then God says, pray for him by name, and not for him to change, and not for him to apologize to you. And I was like, where did that come from? So I, I hunted a couple more hours, got down off my stand, called my wife, and I said, you're not going to believe what happened. Oh, did you get a deer? No, no, bigger than that. And I told her just what happened. And so over time, just in the last month, month and a half, I actually contacted this person and set up a time to meet with this person because I recognized that my sin of reaction was a sin. And my trouble that I had heaped upon myself was something that I did to myself. So I caught contacted him. He agreed to meet with me. So we met, and we sat down. He said, now, what's going on? And I said, I'm here for one simple thing, to ask you to forgive me because I have wronged you. Even though I felt like I'd been wrong, I said, I I've wronged you because I've been unforgiving and bitter and angry at you and all these things. And uh, so we sat there, and he says, well, of course I forgive you. And then he says, well, of course, you know, now that you say that, well, there may be some things that I did to you. So if you want to tell me some of those so I could ask you to forgive me. And this is true. I said, you know what? I used to carry a list around. I used to, I had the list. It was about this, about 10 volumes, by the way, of all the things I felt like this person had done to me. And I said, you know what? I don't have a list anymore because what you did to me is not as bad as what I've done to you. And so my trouble was first done to me, but then worse than that was what I did to myself by self-pity and an unforgiving spirit. So we see that in this, that the psalmist is writing, and he's, in, he's facing some troubles, and they're of both kinds. His sin, but also something, somebody's persecuting, slandering him. He's facing some other troubles. So, first truth. Second truth we see is that verse 1, he, he lays into the reality. Here's, here's the good news. He says, this is his testimony. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. That phrase right there sometimes is the hardest thing that we have to do. Wait patiently on God. Because we... I like it now. God, let's get it on. Let's move on. Let's do the next thing. Let's go. Come on, God. You're a little slow today. Let's go, right? And God says, oh, ho, ho, ho. Wait patiently. How can we wait patiently? There's a couple reasons. We can wait patiently on God because we know he sees us and he hears us. Now, verse 1, the second part of that, he says, he turned to me. And heard my cry. He turned to me and heard my cry. The, the word turn to me is God's turning his attention to. It's, I, I picture it as God sitting there with the psalmist. And the psalmist saying, oh, God. And he says, yes. He's right there with him. He sees him. And he hears him. And this, this truth 
is equally important for us. Because if you're like me, when you face troubles and disappointments, one of the first things that you tend to do, and I tend to do, is wonder, God, do you know what I'm going through? Are you aware of what I'm facing? Do you hear my prayer? Where he says, God, I waited because you turned and heard. Now, we're going to just turn to one of my new favorite verses. It's Psalm 94, verse 9. And these two simple verses here have just really uh, uh, revolutionized my thinking. Psalm 94, 9. Does he who implanted the ear not hear? Let's stop right there. This is one of these, they call them rhetorical questions. And it's a question that he's not asking for the answer, but the answer is already within the question. It's almost like, you dummy, you. Let me help you to understand something. And here he's asking the question, does he, speaking of God, does God who made the ear not capable of hearing? How crazy is that? The one who created the, the ear, isn't he capable of hearing? Well, of course he is. Now, if we, if we did a little experiment, we said, all right, I want you to just close your eyes, and then I want you to just, everybody in the room, just, just pray to God silently. And then I would say, now, who in this room heard everybody's prayer? Well, we think we have good hearing, but all of a sudden when we apply this truth and we say, wait a minute, where are you capable of hearing everybody, everybody's thoughts, everybody's prayer? Is there anybody in this room that would dare say, oh, I'm capable? Of course not, but there is somebody here that can. There's somebody here today that can hear every single one of you. If you prayed silently or loud, clearly, inaudibly, they could hear every word precisely. And who is that person? God. God can hear. And it also says, does he who created the eye not, does he who formed the eye not see? It's one of those things. Of course he does. The creator of the eye sees and hears your circumstance and what you face. I heard a pastor say this before. He said the difference between Christians and others, other religions, is that our God hears. Our God hears. That's what a great truth because you think about it. You put all of the other gods and you compare them to our God. There's none that's, that confesses or acknowledges that they're capable of hearing except God alone, the one true God. So we can wait patiently because we know God hears and sees us. We can wait patiently on God because we don't wait alone. I love this in uh, Psalm, I mean, uh, Isaiah 41, uh, verses 9 and 10. This is what the scripture says. It's God speaking. He says, I have chosen you and not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. So here's the truth that we need to unfold from here. We can wait because we don't wait alone. Wherever, whatever you're facing, and even though you, you may not have told anybody else, the good news is God waits with you. He says, I am 
with you. Hang on to that truth. Then we can wait patiently on God because his timing is always right. He's never too early, nor is he ever too late. Now, we, we have that tendency to want to remind God of what time it is, don't we? You know, it's time for you to do something in my life, God. Time for you to answer my prayer. We like to try to tell God what time it is. But the, the thing that we need to recognize is that God has never been early. He's never been late. God is always right on time. I love this by Andrew Murray. This is a, uh, something he pinned years ago. He says, first, he brought me here. Speaking of God, first, God brought me here. It is by his will that I am in this difficult place and that I will rest. Second, he will keep me here in his love and give me grace in this trial to behave as his child. Third, he will make this trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons he intends for me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. Fourth, in his good time, he can bring me out again. How and when, only he knows. So, I am here by his appointment, in his keeping, and under his training for his time. He just applied all of these truths that we're unpacking out of Psalm 40 and put it in this confession that he wrote. So now, another truth that we see out of Psalm 40 is that no matter how deep is our pit, God can reach down and pick us up. In verse 2, he said, He lifted me out of the slimy pit. That word slimy pit is actually a word or a phrase that could be translated uh, more literally as a cistern, a cistern of roaring, a cistern of roaring. So the implication is like a roaring sea. And so when this was used in Scripture, this slimy pit, it was understood to mean that it was either referring to death or a sea of despair or a pit of desperation. And so here we see this psalmist saying he's waiting and he, God turned, he heard and saw me and he lifted out of my pit. My pit was deep. I even felt like I was going to die. I felt like I was drowning. And then he used the phrase, the mud and the mire. He says, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He's helping us to understand how deep his pit was. This was not just a minor problem. This was a major problem. In fact, we earlier just mentioned his problem was twofold. He was confessing that he had, done some, he had, had some failures and that drove him into this pit. But also he had some people who were persecuting and slandering him. And he was feeling like there was no way out. No way out. He was stuck in the mud. He was stuck in this deep cistern, this roaring sea of desperation. And yet he recognizes the truth. No matter how deep is our pit, God can reach down and pick us up. Then they see another truth that's similar to this one is that, that he confessed that there are, not, there are not too many problems or troubles for God to handle in my life. We're going to look at verse 12, and we see 
we talked about this a moment ago, but we, we looked at it from a different perspective, and now we're going to look at it within this truth frame. He said, for troubles without number surround me. Now, do you get that picture? Have you ever felt that way? My troubles are not just here and there, but they're coming in from all sides. I'm just feeling overwhelmed. And then he goes on in this same verse. He says, my sins have overtaken me. I can't even see. And then he says this, they're more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. So now he's saying, I can't even count them. It seems like just as I, as I wake up, another problem, another disappointment, another trouble hits me in the face. I'm not even out of the first one I'm dealing with. And I'm just overwhelmed. It's overbearing me. I don't even know if I want to continue. I don't know if I can continue. And the questions ringing through in this psalm, in this very verse, is down deep he's asking the question, my problems, my troubles, they just may be too many for God to handle. They just may be too many. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've faced that question where you said, I'm wondering if there's just too many problems in my life for God to deal with. And so let's just stop there and ask that question. Could that be true? Could it be true for you or for me, that there may come to a place in our life that there's just too many for God to deal with? What do you think? If there is, if there's too many for God to deal with, then we got a problem. Because the God that we serve and the God that we worship is not God at all. Because if He can't, if He can't help you in your problems, and your disappointments, then he could not have raised up Jesus from the dead. And the, the truth is, your problems are not that big. Your pro I'm just going to tell you like it is. Your problems are not that big. Jesus was his son. Jesus was crucified, and he was killed, physically, literally killed. That's a problem. Anybody in that state? Anybody dead here? No. See, already you're faced with something much less than God faced with that issue. And yet God was capable of raising his son from the dead and restoring him to life. And in that picture, we see that God is capable of first forgiving all of our sin. If your troubles are because of your sin, something you've done, they're not too many for God to deal with. They're not too many for God to handle. God is capable of dealing with any and all that you face today and any day. So then we see this truth in verse 5. He says, it's there near the end. He says, uh, none, no one can recount to you. Now, really, he's saying this. He says, none can compare. It's the word he's using for compares. None can measure up to you. He's saying, God, you are great. You are great, and you're capable, and there is none that compare. Here's what I would challenge you to do. If you're facing, if you're in the place which it's okay to be in, 
If you're in the place of wondering, is my God really capable of handling my situation? And are, is there some other gods that are better than God? Get you a little piece of paper, put a column, put God. Then you get on the other side, then start listing all the other gods that you think that might compare to God. I, I really want you to do this if this is where you are. And then start listing all the characteristics of God. And then list all the characteristics of the other gods that you think might compare, might measure up to God and see where you stand. And if you find one of those gods that outdo God, then worship him. Worship him. But this I know. There is none. And so you will find yourself recognizing there is only one great God He's the Almighty One. He is great, and there is none that compare to Him. In Isaiah chapter 40, I want to turn there, and I want to just read a couple verses because this question is not new. This question of, God, are you capable? Are you big enough to handle my situation? It has been asked over and over throughout the history of mankind. And we see Isaiah dealing with that. And so he begins in chapter 40, verse 21. He's, again, it's the rhetorical question where it's the answer is already in the question. He says, do you not know? So you could actually translate that as, yes, you know, dummy. And then he goes, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He, speaking of God, sits enthroned above the circles of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princesses to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground that he blows on them and they wither, and the whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. Well, he just undercut. If you think politics is the answer, presidents, kings, rulers, uh, power, if I only got that promotion, oh, now I worship that promotion. He says, everything, everything is under God's authority. Verse 25, so he's asking that question that the psalmist dealt with. To whom would you compare me, he says. Who is my equal, says God. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. So remember your list, God, other gods. One, if you're having a hard time getting, getting that list going, put creator. And then go over to the other side and all the other gods that you have listed, put not creator. Because none of those, none could ever claim creator. There is only one creator, and he's the almighty God. So then he goes on. He's like, he's, he's like he knows my thinking. He says, verse 27, who do you say I am? Why do you complain, O Israel? And then you, he says, this is what you're saying. My way is hidden from God. My cause is disregarded by my God. So he's saying, you're facing that situation where you say, God doesn't hear. God can't see. My troubles are too many. And they're complaining. Have you ever been there? You complain, complain. And he says, let me just ask you one more question in verse 28. Do you not know? 
Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And we can go on and on. But he just helped us to understand there is none. There is none like our God. No one compares to him. He is great. He's magnificent. He's the Almighty. And so the, the, the last truth we get from this is the one who holds the whole world in his hands is able to hold you. Is able to hold you. So here we go. Remember? Point one, knowledge of truth. Point two, apply the truth. Real simple. We understand the, the truth. Now how do we apply it? Three steps. Step one, trust in God alone. Trust in God alone. He said back in verse 6, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced are opened. Is what it, it doesn't mean go get pierced ears. It means you've opened my ears to hear your will so I can obey. And you, he says, Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. But then I said, Here I am, I have come. He's saying, first step, trust in God. Not in outward things, but an inward surrender of your heart. And he said that again in verse 4. He said, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not look to the proud or those who look to false gods. And what he means is we either trust in God or something else. I mean, you're trusting in something, either God or something else. Something else usually amounts to something that you're proud of or that leads to pride. It could be power, position, prestige. It could be wealth. It could be possessions. All of those kind of things. We have a tendency to substitute in front of God. And God says, you want to get out of your pit? You want to get out of your pit? Trust in me and no other. Trust in nothing else. Don't think that you can earn enough to dig your pit. Don't think you can get the right title to dig out your pit. Trust in me. And that involves humbling yourself, emptying yourself of you so that you can be filled with all of God. You have to pray. Just cry out to him. Pray and cry out. And then, of course, wait and believe. So first, trust in God alone. Step two is remember God's greatness. God's greatness. My favorite verse in this passage is verse 5. Verse 5, he says, Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you have planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. The first time I read that verse, I, I took that verse and I said, I wonder if that's true. It says that there are many things God's done. So what are some of the things, the wonders of God? And if I were to start to count them, would be, they be too many for me to count? So... I started to do that, and I'll just put it at the top of my page. God has dot, dot, dot. And I'm going to challenge you to do this this week. God has blank. Put that on your outline. When you go home this week, I want you to go in and start thinking, what has God done? What are some of the wonders of God? What are some of the greatness of God? And start your list. If we had time, we would... Take time to go around this room and start filling in that blank over and over. 
And if we started today and said, we're not going to finish until we've said the last great thing of God, what time do you think we would get out of here? Well, long after the parade, so we wouldn't have to worry about the parking. And we'd probably be here till next week and the week after. But here are some of the things that I wrote down as I started this list. And I keep adding every day, but it's like this. God has displayed his power. God has forgiven my sin. God has created all. He has created me. He has provided redemption. He is in complete control. God has all power. God has stilled the storm. God has given me my wife. He has given me my children. God has none that compare to him. God has remembered me. God has a heart for the orphans and widows. God has sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. God has not grown tired or weary. God has not lied. God has kept his promises. God has angels to protect me. God has loved me unconditionally. And on and on we can go. I challenge you to do this this week. God has blank and get you a tablet and start listening. Listing those things and listen as you do to the greatness of God because he's going to resound in your heart. And when you're in your pit, while you're waiting on God, remember God's greatness. He is capable. He is capable. And the last truth If you want to apply this truth, you're going to trust in God alone. You're going to remember God's greatness, and then you're going to tell the world. Tell the world. He said this. This is um, verse 3. He says, He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in God because of my song. Now, really, it's not like a new song I've never heard before. Really, that is translated, He gave me a reason to sing. He gave me a reason to sing. And I guarantee you, when you start your list, God has, you'll start singing. And it may not be audible singing, but there'll be some heart songs coming from you. And you won't be able to stop it. You won't be able to contain it. When you focus on the greatness of God, there is no container big enough that can put some boundaries on that. You're going to tell the world by your life and your actions. You're going to tell the world of his greatness. So today, will you choose to trust in him completely? Will you surrender to him? All that you're, all that you're dealing with. And maybe you need to come clean with a relationship as I confess my, my situation. Maybe you're holding on to something that you need to release to God. Maybe you're here today and you need to for the very first time, surrender to God and say, it's not about me, God. It's all about you, and my life is yours. Take me. Whatever it is, I encourage you to be obedient. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for truth. Thank you for Psalm 40 and how it reveals who you are and what you think about us and how you can work in us and through us. Thank you that there is no pit too deep for you to reach. And there are not too many troubles in my life for you to deal with. Thank you that you hear and you see my situation. Thank you, God, for being God. And we give you great glory because there is no one like you. And because of that, we can't help but tell the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.